This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Do you have a shed in your backyard? Yeah, it's really big too. You're doing a true crime podcast and you have a shed in your backyard? That'd be the first thing I'd tear down. (laughs) No, it's a really nice shed. It's a nice shed. It has a water bed inside. (laughs) We know, we know that that's what makes a nice room. <laughs> All right. Should we start? Should we go ahead? Should we get into it? Let's get into it. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogab, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. All right, Mogab, today I have a huge case for you. We are Ooh. covering the murder of Lacey Peterson. Murdered by Scott Peterson, correct? Yes. Okay, I saw him trending on Twitter recently, but I'm not really sure why. Yeah. So actually he's been in the news recently uh, because back in August, his uh, death penalty sentence got overturned. Um, His murder conviction still stands right now, but less than a month ago, the California Supreme Court issued this order that's requiring a judge to look into some jury misconduct. And Mm -hmm. if he decides that there was jury misconduct, he could get his guilty verdict overturned. So if that happens, he could get a 
whole new full-blown trial. It's going to be really interesting to follow that case because um, we'll see how his first case was really tried in the court of public opinion and not in an actual court of law. So I will 100% be bringing updates to the case as they come. And I can't wait to dive into this case with you because the more I read about it, the more I realized I knew nothing about this case. Oh, like me. Okay, I actually know nothing. So please tell me you're starting from the beginning. Oh, yeah. We're starting from the very beginning. You know, it's, it, it's been really interesting because I decided to do this case, especially with Scott being back in the news and everything. And I've mentioned it to a few people that I was going to do, uh, that I was going to cover it for the podcast. And it's really interesting how emotional people are about this case. Like every single person I talk to has an opinion And really their opinion is there's not a doubt in my mind that Scott Peterson is guilty. Like every person seems convinced that, that he did it. And before I really dived into this, I had, I'd heard a few things that didn't really add up to the slam dunk case that this was made out to be. But the more research I did, the more I realized that I'm just not as certain as everyone else seems to be that Scott is actually guilty. Oh, no. I feel like I don't have an opinion yet, but I'm not ready for you to, like, change my non-existent opinion. You know, I do have this loaded into the Hulu queue to watch. And by my Hulu, I mean your Hulu that I'm logged into. (laughs) So um, I'm really glad that you're going to talk about this today because I have not seen or read anything yet. Yeah. And this is such a huge case. I I did not even really know where to begin. So, of course, I started with that A&E documentary that you're talking about. (laughs) And promptly said, saw it in your queue and was like, don't watch this documentary. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of the information comes from that documentary. But I also, I mean, court documents, transcripts, like tons of articles. And I'm just going to list everything in our show notes and on our website. So let's get into this case. December 24th, 2002. Scott Peterson returns home from fishing in the San Francisco Bay somewhere between 4.30 to 4.45. He lived He's in- guilty. He did it. No one's fishing in California and Christmas Eve. It's too cold. <laughs> All right, Nancy Grace, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he said he was, uh, he had planned to go golfing, but he said that he wasn't going to go golfing because it was too cold. So he went fishing instead, which hmm. Hmm. seems suspicious. Seems suspicious. Uh, He lived in Modesto, California, which was about an hour and a half away from the Berkeley Marina. And he'd recently bought a boat. And this had actually been his first time taking the boat on the water. When he arrived home in Modesto after fishing, he saw that his wife Lacey's car was in the driveway, but when he walked inside the house, she wasn't there. And he tried to call her a few times on his way home, but she hadn't answered. And when he got home and he saw that she wasn't there, he assumed that she was with her parents getting ready for this big Christmas Eve dinner they were going to have that night. He noticed that their dog Mackenzie was in the backyard with her leash still attached, which he thought was weird, but he didn't think much of it. His clothes were a little wet, so he threw them in the washing machine, started the washer. Then he grabbed some pizza and went to take a shower. After his shower, he listened to the messages on his answering machine, and this is when Scott says he became alarmed. One of the messages on his machine was from Lacey's uh, stepdad, Ron, asking if they could bring whipped cream over when they came over for dinner. And... So I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he wanted whipped cream. Probably okay. for pie, Mogab. Come oh. on. <laughs> All right. Got it. This isn't varsity blues. <laughs> like, all right, Ron. Um, so Scott 
you know, was worried now because he, he figured if Lacey was with him, why was Ron calling them, asking them to bring whipped cream? So he called Lacey's parents. They confirmed that she wasn't there and they called 911. And this is when the search for Lacey Peterson began. So they called 911 like shortly after. Yeah. I mean, like he's been home, he showered, ate pizza, but it wasn't like days where sometimes I feel like that happens. No, he got home around like latest 445 and the police were at their house by 6 p.m. that night. Okay. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that long. Modesto police arrived at the Peterson house around 6 p.m., like I said, led by Detective Al Brocchini, who had a reputation for being really dogged in his investigations. The police looked through the house. They saw no evidence of forced entry, nothing disturbed, and no sign of any crime. It was like she had vanished. From midnight to 1 a.m., they interviewed Scott down at the police station, and he gave them his account of the day. He said that Lacey got up before him and ate breakfast because she was eight months pregnant, and <gasps> I know. I think I knew that, but I just remember that. <laughs> yeah, she was eight months pregnant. She would found that if she didn't eat right away, she would get sick. Scott got up around 8 a.m. and they watched Martha Stewart together at some point that morning. The police asked him what the episode was about, and Scott said it had something to do with cookies and meringue. Scott had then asked Lacey what her plans were for the day, and Lacey had said she was going to clean up a little, mop the floor, walk the dog, and run some errands to get ready for the dinner that night. Scott, Whoa. I'm sorry. If I'm eight months pregnant, you're not going to catch me dead with a mop or walking the dog. <laughs> So, yeah, people thought it was weird, especially since they'd had their housekeeper over the day before and she had cleaned and mopped. So why was Lacey mopping here? But it was totally normal within her routine to walk the dog. She walked the dog almost every morning. She'd been doing it while she was pregnant. So it wasn't out of her usual routine. Her parents confirmed that. Don't let my boyfriend hear that. People that knew her, yeah, said that that was normal. Detective Burkini asked him if they had any marital problems, and Scott said no. He asked if Scott would take a polygraph, and he said that he would be willing to take one. But he knew the police were zeroing in on him that from that first night because he heard Burkini say, the husband is acting suspicious. Why? Ugh. Well, Scott's behavior will become key in this case. And you know how I feel about cases hinging on people's behavior, Um, especially when they're dealing with probably the strangest, most upsetting circumstances of their lives. But this detective thought it was very strange that while he was at Scott's house that first night, he'd asked for a glass of water and Scott had brought over a coaster to him to put the glass of water on. He didn't like that Scott was so concerned about a coaster when his wife was missing. I'm sorry. He's obviously not grown up in the South. <laughs> I feel like that was beaten into me as a child. Right. That, yeah. To me, it, it seems like people that use coasters are like very, you know. That's, yeah. Don't be messing up grandma's antiques. Right. I don't care who you are. To me, that could be explained as just a, a reflex. You know, there's a yeah. glass of water. Like he's probably been Here's doing a coaster. That since, yeah. Yeah. Something else that they thought was weird was when the police were looking through the cars, Scott brought out something like a glove or something to put against the open door so that it wouldn't ding the door of the other car. And Brocchini thought this was all incredibly suspicious, but that was just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Scott's suspicious behavior. 
their impression of Scott from the very beginning was that he was not very interested in what they were doing because he wasn't asking a lot of questions. Usually you'd expect someone missing a loved one to be all over the police asking what they're doing to find her, but Scott wasn't doing that. Then Scott's dad warns, warns him not to take a polygraph test, which honestly is excellent advice. Uh, right. No one should ever take a polygraph test, even if they're completely innocent, because they're completely unreliable which is why they're not even admissible in court as evidence. And taking them generally can only hurt you. It cannot help you to pass a lie detector. Not really. Well, if they're not used in court as evidence, what is the point of them? Just so they can like get their suspect or like kind of corroborate their Yeah, so the police use it so they can lean on people harder. And then if you don't pass it, they're never going to look off of you. They're going right. to, they're never going to look anywhere else. So, of course, the police see this as him being unwilling to cooperate and help them move off of him as a suspect. They keep saying in press conferences that Scott had been cooperating to a degree, making it seem like he'd been really difficult because he refused to take this polygraph test. So police start to put together a timeline of December 24th, and here's what they find. Between 9.20 and 9.40 a.m., a neighbor saw Scott loading these really large, like, patio umbrellas into the bed of his truck. They'd said hello to each other. Sometime around 10, Scott heads to his warehouse. At 10.08, while he's driving, he checks a voicemail his boss left. At 10.18, a neighbor, Karen Service, sees the Peterson's dog, Mackenzie, wandering around outside their house with his collar on, his leash on. So the neighbor takes the dog and puts him in the Peterson's backyard, closes the gate behind her. She doesn't think anything else of this because she said Mackenzie gets out sometimes. She sees her. She knows the dog. She put her in the, in the backyard and, and... She has her leash on. Walked off. Ugh. Yeah. Between 10.30 and 10.56, Scott gets to his warehouse, checked his email, sent an email to his boss, and looked up how to put together some woodworking tool that he'd just gotten in the mail. What does he have a warehouse for? His warehouse was used for work. He was, an, uh, he was a fertilizer salesman. So it seems like mm -hmm. he kind of had his office set up in there. He had like his work computer. And then at this point, he's also using it to store his boat. He'd recently purchased the boat like at the beginning of the month of December. And he was using the warehouse to store it. Mm -hmm. By 1117, Scott was on his way to the Berkeley Marina. So the police think the time between when Scott got off the computer at 1056 until 1117 it's possible Scott was transferring Lacey's body into the boat. However, that woodworking tool that he had purchased, that he looked up the directions on how to put it together, they found that assembled when they went and searched his warehouse later. So he was putting together that tool. He also was hooking the boat up to the truck. So Yeah, which is not an easy task if you've ever done that. It, I mean, it takes a little bit. Not that it's hard, but right. It, it, yeah. you're not doing it in two minutes. Right. So by 11.17, Scott was on his way to the Berkeley Marina, and he got there around 12.54. It's about an hour and a half away. Ooh. So by 12.54, Scott was parking at the Berkeley Marina. He has a receipt from parking his truck that's stamped at that time. And so it's also possible that it was actually here that he transferred her body into the boat. There are no witnesses that saw him doing this. There are no witnesses that saw the body in the truck. There are a few people that talked to him that day. At the marina, saw his boat, didn't see anything in it. This what is, kind of boat are we talking? Are it's we a talking small like, fishing boat. Okay. Like small. John boat. Okay. Yeah. Like, like a wooden, right. like it was an aluminum, small aluminum little fishing boat with like All right. 
It's not what I was picturing. Seats so for fishing. So you would see a. It's not like he's hiding it in like the bottom deck of a yacht. No, this is know? not a yacht. This is not even right. like a boat where you could pull a tube or a wakeboarder or something. Like yeah. this is just a little dinky little fishing boat. Yeah. And again, middle of the day, middle of middle of the day, one o'clock in the afternoon. That was what the police determined were kind of the sequence of events of that of that morning. December 26th, 2002, not a big news day. The day after Christmas usually isn't. So board reporters just flocked to the Peterson home in Modesto and the search officially gets underway. Tons and tons of volunteers show up to help search for Lacey and they hang flyers. They look on horseback. They're looking by boat. A volunteer center was set up at a local hotel to head the search for Lacey. The night of Christmas Eve when Lacey went missing, Scott had voluntarily allowed the police to search his home, but when they came back on December 26th, they wanted him to sign this form allowing them to search the house. And Scott felt uncomfortable signing the form until he knew what his signature would mean. Like he just wanted to kind of make sure his bases were covered. So the police came back with a warrant. They're pretty peeved that Scott wouldn't let him, wouldn't let them in. And they saw it as a huge red flag. I feel like right now, sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like right now you're, for Scott, like, I, I don't have an opinion yet. I really don't know enough about this. But as you're telling me things, I'm thinking he's now starting to realize he's in this, like, weird middle ground of I need to cooperate because I care and, like, want to find my wife. But I also need to start thinking about protecting myself because I am the last person she was probably seen with. I, like, no one else really saw me that day. I was out doing my own thing. Like, I feel like he's trying to protect himself but also cooperate and he's like having to dance this like fine line in between yeah yeah I think one of the most interesting things about this case is that as we go through and as I point out new things that happen depending on if you're going into this because very few people are like you mocap most people (laughs) have an opinion don't live under a rock (laughs) I get it okay do you know what I was doing in 2002? Okay. What? I was like getting my braces on, like listening to NSYNC. I did not like, <laughs> I mean, I was living my best life. I was peaking. I didn't Same. know about this. I, I, I knew about this case. Uh, there wasn't much I knew, but I knew about this case and I figured he did it. Like everybody said he did. Everybody said he did, probably it, so he did it. Putting some angsty away message on AIM. Okay. Like, right. So I think it's interesting because everything that he does, everything that happens, depending on what lens you're looking at it through, depending on if you're looking at it through the lens of, oh, he's definitely guilty, or you're looking at it through the lens of maybe he's innocent, you can really see so many of these things two different ways. So, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like, like the information to fit your opinion or sway your opinion to like... Right. Like there are so many things that look bad that it's like, oh, he's guilty. But then you're not really looking at the actual facts of it. So we're going to get into it. The whole purpose of this warrant was not even to search Scott's house. It was they knew they'd seen nothing in the house on the 24th. There was nothing there. It was to look at Scott and they were not liking what they were seeing. Police ended up taking his cars and his computers that day. By the next day, December 27th, the media was in full circus mode. Uh, There was a lull in the news over the holidays. They needed something to fill that 24-hour news cycle. 
and a pregnant, attractive woman disappearing on Christmas Eve became the news. It was well, this was like no social media too, really, right? Like 2002, we're like not we in Zanga and MySpace. <laughs> oh my God. Top eight. About it. Top um, eight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the media, the media presence changed everything about this case. And it would end up having a huge influence on the outcome of the case. I, I would go so far as to say that they were the ones that convicted him, not a jury. It was the media. Immediately, the media thinks it's odd that Scott doesn't want to have anything to do with the camera. He, it doesn't appear that he's grieving. We just love to judge the way other people grieve, which right. it makes me feel really weird because I feel like if I were in a situation like this now, I would be trying to like fake my way into grieving <laughs> the way people expect me to be. And then I would yeah. just look insincere, you know? So yeah, then you'd be over grieving. Yeah. You'd be yes. like, you know, I mean, exactly. Yeah. And think about it now where your photo or your like quick little video could just go viral in seconds. I mean, he was literally trending on Twitter. Right. You know, like, right. I mean, now currently today. Right. It's just nobody knows how to react when somebody they love has disappeared. Like, no, I would just feel weird. I would, if my loved one just disappeared, I would be worried and I would be scared, but I wouldn't be grieving because I wouldn't feel like they were gone yet. You know, I would feel we're going to find them. We're going to find them. We're going to find them. This is weird. I'm not sure that I would be grieving yet for like, yeah. And if you start grieving, then it's like you've admitted defeat. Right. You know that they're not coming back. And then they'd be like, how do you know she's not coming back? Right. Yeah. He was already crying over his dead wife when she was only missing for two days. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's, you can look at anything from any angle. Anyways, Dennis Rocha, Lacey's dad, he broke down in tears at a press conference asking for Lacey back. You can see the anguish on his face. It was so sad. They didn't get that from Scott. So people didn't like him. At the time, mm. Lacey's family was still on Scott's side. And they I was just about to ask. Yeah. That. I was about to be like, oh, wait, I need to know about the family dynamics here. But I Yeah, they insisted in every press conference that they knew Scott had nothing to do with it. So, all right. We cannot talk about Scott Peterson's case without talking about Nancy Grace, who <laughs> she hates Scott Peterson in a way that seems so personal. Like, it's almost... Weird. They hook up. They hook up, didn't they? <laughs> Maybe. It's almost weird how much she hates him. But I, I guess there's a lot of people that I hate that I've never met. So, <laughs> I mean, I'll give it to her. Same. <laughs> Same. She first started talking about Scott Peterson on the Larry King show, and it just evolved from there. One of my favorite podcasts, True Crime Obsessed, shout out. They don't need a shout out from me, but I'm, I am anyway. They covered this documentary and they, they came to the conclusion that it was Scott Peterson that broke Nancy Grace and turned her into this like screaming banshee that she is. And it's so true because if you look at reports she did before the case, she was so much different. But throughout <laughs> the months of this case, she just gets screamier and screamier and her eyes are bulging like more and more. She hated him because he never seemed genuine. He seemed cocky and it seemed like the rest of his family was begging for Lacey back and he wasn't. Scott's family says during this time he was trying to come up with strategies to find Lacey 
and that he was scared. But the fact was he was evasive with the media and they didn't like it one bit. Right. Nancy also had a habit of latching onto details that had been leaked to the media. Many, I would maybe even say most of which turned out to be completely untrue. Like when the media reported that the house smelled like bleach when detectives arrived, like trying to say that Scott cleaned up a crime scene. But Mm -hmm. that was completely untrue. There's not a single detective that was there the night of the 24th that thought the house smelled like bleach. Yeah. Also, how many men have you seen successfully clean anything up and or use bleach? Because (laughs) I am here to tell you that they would have been evidence of him trying to clean if he would have tried to clean. There, yeah, there absolutely would have been evidence. They, there, there was no evidence of any crime that happened in the house whatsoever. So if he had killed her in some messy, bloody way, then tried to clean it with bleach, yeah, they would have found that. Nearly every single news source reported this as a fact that it smelled like bleach. And we cannot underestimate Nancy's place in the Scott Peterson case. She did a lot to sway public opinion with five minutes of information. And I've seen her take a piece of information and then present it completely different than what it was. The first time I really realized what Nancy Grace really does, because I don't really watch her show. Like, I don't really, you know. Yeah, I don't really know much about her. I just know her personality. I don't actually know what her show is, though. Yeah. So the only time I've really watched her show was she did this panel on the Adnan Syed case. And I mainly watched it because she had Bob Ruff on, and I'm a big fan of his podcast, Truth and Justice. So I wanted to watch it. And at the time, I knew that case inside and out. Like, I mm-hmm. knew that case. I had, I, I mean, deep dives galore into that case. And I watch her do her Nancy Grace yelly thing, screaming that Adnan said he was at school when actually he was at the public library, not at school. (laughs) That was the best impression. I just wanted to scream back that the public library and the high school share a parking lot. So for him to say he was at school when he was actually at the public library, they're in the same spot. Like, They share a parking lot. It was really normal for the kids to say we're at school. They called the public library, the school library. Like she made this thing into something that it wasn't. And I feel like she did that over and over and over again with the Scott Peterson case. So then when people that actually do know this case point out the actual facts, she just leans back into her talking plate points like, okay, well, why did he leave his pregnant wife alone on Christmas Eve? (laughs) But like, really though, why? (laughs) <laughs> probably because she was eight months pregnant well and that's again, not super enjoyable <laughs> right and again that's just something that can look really bad if you're looking at the he's guilty lens and it can be something as innocuous as you know they didn't they you know they had their own things to do that day and then we're spending christmas eve dinner that night yeah you know, i don't know like don't she know. probably got him out of the house so she could get things done i'm trying to record this podcast and i was like you should go play golf which right. hence is why i'm home alone yeah Exactly. More Nancy um, Grace. I just want you to keep <laughs> hollering with her. Oh, we will have plenty of uh, opportunities for that, I'm sure. So December 30th, 2002, missing for six days. This is the first day that Modesto PD released any information about a burglary that occurred directly across the street from the Petersons' home on the morning of Christmas Eve. What? Around the same time that Lacey supposedly disappeared. The family that lived there was out of town for the holidays, and they didn't arrive back until several days later to see that their house had been broken into. And at 1140, the morning of Christmas Eve, a neighbor drove by, and she saw people looking very suspicious, standing by a van parked in front of that house. Again, 
right across the street from the Petersons. So and like they, directly, the, those houses are facing each other? Those houses are facing each other. There's nothing weird about this street. It's a normal neighborhood street. They're directly across from each other. And this stood out to the neighbor because they all turned around, all these men that were standing by this van, they all turned around to look at her as she drove past. So a logical conclusion to jump to is that this burglary is somehow connected to Lacey's disappearance. She was the type that would put her nose in something that looked weird, the type that might go and confront some people robbing a house in broad daylight. That's the, my girl. Yeah. Yeah, that was who she was. That was who she was. The burglars were arrested a few days later on January 3rd, 2003. And the first thing they said when they were arrested was, I didn't have anything to do with that missing pregnant lady. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> and so, right. They wanted to distance themselves from it as much as possible. The cops said to them, I don't want to talk to you about a missing pregnant lady. I want to talk to you about this robbery, which mm. just kind of shows how much tunnel vision they have going on. Like they have a decent lead. They can continue investigating Scott, but they can look down other avenues as well. They have this right. lead. A burglary is going on at the same time that Lacey's going missing. Maybe let's look into it and see if they're connected. But yeah, I don't feel like didn't. tunnel vision has ever been a benefit of these things, you know? Like, why not? No, absolutely not. Yeah. They had their side, but they had their sights aimed at Scott. They didn't even bother going down this investigative avenue with these burglars. So much so that the police actually came out and said that they realized, oh, the burglar, the burglary actually happened on the 26th of December, not the 24th. So everyone just shut up about it already. It doesn't have anything to do with Lacey. Mm. Only, I don't know. I would, yeah. Well, by December 26th, the Peterson Street was lined up and down with media. Like, yeah. news vans camped out at their house. One guy, one reporter said that he'd been there starting at 5 a.m. So no way was the house across the street getting burgled in front of all these reporters. Like, someone would have seen them. The burglars even said they had a safe on the lawn while they were like trying to like load it into their van nobody none of these like reporters lining the street noticed the people in the and and these burglars like arrived on the street and it was like oh look news vans everywhere great time Let's to rob keep a going house. <laughs> so it's it's just way more probable that burglary happened on the 24th when this witness said that it happened and it was only three days later that she was talking about it like the 27th you know so it's not like she's trying to remember something that happened ages ago and it happened on Christmas Eve. So I feel like you remember those days a little bit more right. than a normal day. Then police hold a press conference to say that they're attempting to corroborate Scott's alibi at the Berkeley Marina. So they're looking for anyone that might have seen Scott's boat and his truck between December 23rd and Christmas Day. They have a receipt from the marina that Scott provided them. So they already had corroboration. But Scott's family is now really worried because... They know that if somebody does have her and they do have an intent to kill her, they now know exactly where to put that body. Yeah. New Year's Eve, they had a candlelight vigil for Lacey. And this is where Scott's behavior really takes a turn. And I don't think there was a single person in all of America that believed he could be innocent after pictures came out from this night. Except for yours truly, who didn't have an opinion. <laughs> Who had no idea there was this candlelight vigil. Okay, I feel like at this point, I really have to bring up the book Gone Girl. Have you ever read Gone Girl? Uh, yes. Okay, I, it's one of my favorite books. I love Gillian Flynn. For anybody that hasn't 
Red Gone Girl. It's about this guy, Nick Dunn. He comes home one day to find his door open, a giant blood stain on his kitchen floor, and his wife missing. He immediately becomes the prime suspect, and the evidence against him is just stacking up, stacking up, stacking up. Only it's told from his point of view, so as the reader, you know that he didn't do it. And (laughs) after doing this deep dive into Scott Peterson, I have a very, very strong suspicion that Nick Dunn is strongly based on Scott Peterson. Ooh, I like. Of course, I would have never thought. I was going to say I would have never thought of that. Of course. So here's how Nick is described in the book. How he describes himself. I have a face you want to punch. I'm a working class Irish kid trapped in the body of a total trust fund douchebag. I smile a lot to make up for my face, but this only sometimes works. And if that is not Scott Peterson to a T, I don't know what is. You know, I'm about to Google. Oh my God. Google him. up on the Google machine. Google him. He looks like a total douchebag. He 100% has a face you want to punch. And at this candlelight vigil, there's photo after photo of him grinning away like he's having the best time ever and people didn't like him. And I got to admit the vigil or just in general at the, well at the vigil, but also there were other circumstances, but these pictures of the vigil were of him like smiling, like he's having this great time at this candlelight vigil for his wife and um, not a, not a good look. So people didn't like him and I got to admit, it's really easy not to like him. Like I don't especially like him. Yeah. That's and, fine. Yeah. And then enter Amber Fry. And it gets even easier to hate him as she gives a press conference announcing to the world the affair she's been having with Scott. No. <laughs> it's funny because I never followed this case very closely. Like I was 16 when it happened, you know? Yeah. And so pretty much all I knew about the case was Scott Peterson killed his wife, Lacey. It had something to do with a boat, and he was having an affair with Amber Fry. <laughs> She's so pregnant. That makes me, yeah. I don't know, really sad. Did he ever seem sad over the fact of not just losing his wife, but this unborn child? Was it their first kid? It depends on how you're looking at it. But his family said, yeah, he was devastated. He wouldn't let anybody in the nursery. But then they were like, he turned Connor's nursery into a storage room because he put three chairs and, a, and some bedding in there. But it was their first baby. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. I always assumed that this had been like a long time affair that had gotten, and oh, and that's another connection to Gone Girl, you know, you find out halfway through uh, he's having an affair. Yeah. And anyways, I always assumed this had been a long time affair because there was so much speculation that he did it for Amber because like he wanted to be with her. He didn't want to be a dad. So he killed Lacey and they met on November 20th. Like that's when she met him. So they had met 34 days before Lacey went missing, and they saw each other a grand total of four times. This was the big affair. Four times. Turns out this was also not Scott's first affair. There are reports from relatives and friends that Scott had at least three affairs over the course of his marriage, and that Lacey knew of at least one. Again, easy to not like the guy. He's a douchebag. But yeah, doesn't make him a murderer, but he does seem like a skis ball. Yeah. Then that's the thing. Like you can be an asshole and also not be a murderer. Like those two things can be true. So who is Amber Fry? She was from Fresno, which is about an hour and a half from Modesto. She had an 18 month old daughter, which makes it even weirder that Scott would kill his pregnant wife so he could be a, so he didn't have to be a dad. 
and could go be with his girlfriend who is a mom. Be anyway, dad. Yeah. She just finished putting herself through massage school when she met Scott through her friend, Sean, who had met Scott at a work convention. And he told Amber that Scott would be perfect for her and kind of set them up. Amber had no idea that he was married. Perfect for her, except that he has a wife. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and Sean didn't know that. And Amber says she didn't know that either. And she says that they both told each each other that they were looking for the one. Amber asked him to be her date to a big Christmas party, and he agreed. On December 9th, Scott told Amber that he had been married, but that his wife had died, and it would be his first holidays without her, which... I will give all the Scott Peterson haters is suspicious as hell. But let's look at the actual circumstances that that conversation came up with and people can kind of form their own opinions. Sean, the friend that had introduced them, heard that Scott was married and confronted him about it. And at first Scott said, no, he wasn't married. Then he called Sean back and said that he was married, but that his wife had passed away. So it's not like it just came out of nowhere. You know, he was an asshole backed into a corner and making up a lie to keep it hidden from Amber that he was married. I mean, I think that's totally possible. Um, But like also those two people that he's now told that to now they see that this, his wife is murdered mm -hmm. or missing or whatever. And they're like, Oh yeah, for sure. He did it. Like he basically told us he did. Nancy Grace says, what is he? Clairvoyant. (laughs) (laughs) He said it was going to be his first holidays without his wife. What is he? Clairvoyant. I mean, sounds like it, Nance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, apparently, this is what he told a lot of the women that he had affairs with. He would tell them that his wife had recently passed away. So, you know, it obviously, like, it could be that he was planning to kill her, and he said that she had passed away and then carried that through. But also, it could just be, like, a line he told these women that he wanted to have affairs with. So... I don't know. I hate all of this. Yeah, it's not great. What is he, okay. boy? <laughs> he then told Amber that he was going to Europe for several weeks over the holidays with some friends and that they'd talk when he came back. Amber saw the newspaper a few days after Christmas and she saw the news of Scott's missing wife and I honestly can't believe it took her that long to see it because it was everywhere. And she called in a tip to the tip line on December 30th. Which, you know, around the same time that detectives are releasing information about this burglary that has no connection to Lacey's disappearance. Yeah, that, that timing is... It's interesting. A lot of interesting things. Detectives, <laughs> detectives go down to Amber's to interview her, and police now know for certain that Scott has lied about at least one thing that they can prove. That when he said that his and Lacey's marriage was great and they had no marital problems, he was lying. So the detectives decide to use Amber to try to like trap Scott into confessing to her. So they get this tape recorder attached to Amber's phone. Scott even calls while police are there, like still getting it set up. And he tells her he'll be in Paris the next day because of course he's on his European adventure. Yeah. Does he not think that she gets the news? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Someone that's having that many affairs has to have some like, complex that they're invincible like you're having three affairs like you're you're just kind of thinking you're not going to get caught you know yeah maybe so and i think that's why a lot of people used this affair his other affairs were not really widely known about i don't think Mm -hmm. amber fry was the only one that he was having an affair with at the time of lacy's 
disappearance. But oh, yeah, it nice. does it does show a pattern of deception, of constantly lying, um, like not caring. Yeah, yeah, maybe not really caring. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> there's all these recordings from the Amber Fry phone calls, and they are. A delight. I don't really know how else oh. to explain it. Like, <laughs> not what I thought you were going to say. It is uh, just amusing what he thought he was getting away with, with in terms of like keeping Amber at yeah, bay. At bay. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> because okay, if you look at it like from the Nick Dunn point of view from Gone Girl, and you're like, okay, shit, my wife is missing. I've also got this girlfriend. If people no, I have this girlfriend. It's going to be really bad. I've got to keep her like calm and not suspicious, you know. <laughs> Did he think he was going to like just hold out, like hold her off until all this was over and then like all of a sudden he just I think that's like, what he was he hoping was for. Have to explain himself to her? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think that he was hoping to keep her off as much as possible so that she would not go do a press conference, which is exactly what she ended up doing. What she did. <laughs> okay. But the night of the candlelight vigil, Scott called Amber from the vigil, telling her, this is New Year's Eve, telling her that he's in front of the Eiffel Tower watching the fireworks, telling her all about his European adventure plans with his friends, Francois and Pascal. Okay. <laughs> First of all. Googled French name. Is he like over at the vigil, like in the corner, like not now? <laughs> and then like calling? I don't. So yeah, I mean, he is sketchy. He also, will... how tacky is it? How tacky is it to call? Yeah, like just maybe wait from your wife's candlelight vigil. Ooh. Scott says that he was continuing to call Amber to kind of keep up this charade, keep her from going to the media and doing interviews. And he says because he knew the second that she did the search for Lacey would stop completely. And he cited the Chandra Levy case because when Gary Condent, when it came out that Gary Condent was having an affair with Chandra Levy, do you know either of those names? <laughs> Big case. Uh, Big case. Chandra no. Levy was an intern in Washington, D.C. She had an affair with a congressman, Gary Condent. They were having an affair. Gary Condit turned out had nothing to do with Chandra's disappearance. But yeah. as soon as it came out that he was having an affair, the the search for her stopped completely. Because they just um, assumed. They just assumed, yeah, that he killed her. And so Scott didn't want that to happen. That's what he <laughs> says. Amber's calling Scott all the time, trying to get, get him to give her information or catch him in a lie. Finally, he's just he tells her he's been lying to her this entire time. He hadn't been in Europe like he said, and that his wife was currently missing. So he admits it. No shit. But it's like, also... Hello. Right. But it's also interesting that apart from him lying to Amber about being in Europe and like kind of trying to hide those things, he never once said anything in all of these phone calls that was the least bit incriminating to him. Like, yes, showed him being a dick, calling her from the vigil. Yeah, sure. But actual evidence against him besides just his personality? Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Like, he never said anything. He was like, let me take you out on the boat after I get it back from being cleaned up where I hid my wife's body. Right. 
This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. So on January 5th, 2003, 12 days since Lacey went missing, divers searched the area at Berkeley Marina where Scott was fishing. They did 27 searches both at the Berkeley Marina and at Lake Tulock, which is about two hours away. I couldn't find anything to tell me why they were searching out there, except that there might have been a tip that came in, but police did not find Lacey's body. At this point, Lacey's family still doesn't believe Scott had anything to do with it because Amber Fry has not given her press conference yet. But the police are sitting there with no significant leads, no body, no physical evidence, and the media is all over them about it. So police start pointing the finger at Scott as their prime suspect, even though at this point they have nothing on him. So someone starts just making stuff up. They start reporting all of these totally untrue things. So 
Let's talk about some of these lies that got reported. There were constant headlines at the time about Scott's guilt saying things like, sources say home smelled like bleach, which we've talked about, (laughs) or leaked information says there's forensic evidence in the home. Of course, there was... Yeah, they lived there. (laughs) Right. They found her hairbrush. They found hairs. They found Lacey's hairs in her home. Scott's (laughs) finger. Yeah, God. If that... My hair, geez, I shed worse than a (laughs) great... Ear knees over here. Exactly. So there was nothing at the home to say that a crime had happened, but the media latched onto all of these leaks and reported them as facts. Police lied about Scott taking out a life insurance policy on Lacey shortly before her death to the point that legislation was actually passed so that a person has to be notified if there's somebody that can benefit financially from their death. They have to be notified. This law was passed after this, but Scott and also their family is expanding. So like a new life insurance policy when you're bringing like when you're growing your family. like Right. But it wasn't even that new. Like they they together with a friend of theirs that sells insurance got with them and both of them together purchased insurance policies on each other. Um, Probably because they had to help their friend who probably slid into their DMs with the hey girl. Probably needs more insurance. Also, oh, it was, do you have acne? You know, like one of those. It was like, probably, but it was. this was like a year and a half before she disappeared. So it was like long before she was pregnant. It was the summer, mm-hmm. like the summer before she got pregnant. Just like picturing MLMs in 2002. Right. <laughs> it probably was that. The police also told the media that they could not confirm Lacey had been walking her dog. And this wasn't exactly a lie because they couldn't confirm it because they hadn't bothered to contact a single one of the many, 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 many witnesses who called in with tips saying that they saw Lacey walking her dog after Scott had already left for the marina. Mm. Lacey's very recognizable. She is eight months pregnant and had a dog with her. And they all described the clothes that Scott says she was wearing when she disappeared. Like they're all ex- describing the same person. So wait, people literally saw Lacey. I, I didn't mm-hmm. know, as we've established, I didn't know about any of this. Right. But he's already left for the mm-hmm. day. Like he's out. Mm-hmm. She's walking the dog. People have seen her. Yes. And they we're just, you know, not going to talk to them. Just mm-hmm. not interested in that. Yeah, the family assumed that the police were following up on all these tips because the tips were I think I think the tips were coming into the volunteer search center that had that they had been set up and then they would pass along the tips and so the family assumed that the police were doing their due diligence and going and contacting these witnesses but the witnesses today in the A&E documentary said nobody's ever come and talked nobody from the police ever came and talked to me about seeing Lacey that day. Also, it was Christmas Eve, so they all had specific memories of the day. You know, maybe like one person was driving on their way to drop off Christmas gifts, so they knew that it was Christmas Eve. Like, they all had specific reasons for knowing that it was Christmas Eve. But in the A&E documentary, there's a detective interviewed who's like, I don't remember anyone seeing Lacey walking the dog because I know it didn't happen. Lacey didn't walk the dog. So unless I'm misremembering something... And I'm like, yeah, you're misremembering not following up on any of the leads of all the people that said they saw her. (laughs) Yeah. Seems like you're misremembering how to do your job. Yeah. Also, not 
I think it would be odd if he didn't have an exact reason to have to murder her that day. Why would you choose a day where there's all these subsequent family gatherings and you're supposed to go over to her family's house? If it was just he wanted to get rid of her, you know, why not like January 5th where all of that is over with and people have, you could go to her parents' house and show that y'all are like this loving couple. I mean, it just seems weird. Yeah. And where witnesses wouldn't recall the day, like, I don't remember what I did last week, but when you have such milestones, like, I'm going over to this person, like, tradition, you usually do the same things at the holidays, so, like, people know what they did, because it's typically a tradition. Well, and it's a day that stands out to you, because it's a holiday, right? now. So, and especially, we're talking about people reporting this, like, within a month, you know, we're not talking about people calling in 18 years later saying, I know, December 24th, 2002. I saw Lacey walking her dog. I remember this. No, it was like very soon after that they're calling in with these tips and they just weren't followed up on. The people, the witnesses calling saying that they saw Lacey, they said, I think it was like the range from about 1030 to like 1130, which was after, this is why the police dismissed all of these witnesses, because that's after 1018 when the Karen, the neighbor, saw Mackenzie out wandering around the front of the house and put her in the backyard in the gate. So she could have walked her after that. I don't know if Mackenzie's a boy or girl. It's so funny. She could have walked the gender neutral dog after that. Mackenzie's a boy. And it's so funny that you say that because apparently it didn't occur to a single member of the police force that Lacey could have walked the dog. Like maybe she had the dog on the leash. She was inside the house. Maybe she had the dog on the leash ready to walk her, went and got busy doing something else. Yeah. Dog ran out. The neighbor put her in the backyard. Lacey saw that she was put in the backyard, went and got her, and they went on their walk. But it didn't even occur to them. And we're not going to get into it in this episode, but there is evidence supporting, like, very strong, almost, almost irrefutable, if you will. Yes, evidence that she was walking her dog later than they said. So we'll get into that next time. Another lie that they said was about Scott's boat. The lead detective Brocchini wanted everyone to think that Scott had secretly bought this boat before Lacey's death. And that's what was reported in the media, that no one had any idea the secret boat that he bought just weeks before Lacey's disappearance, to the point that this lead detective removed a statement from a witness at the warehouse that said she had seen Lacey there and had let her use the restroom. So had like a clear memory of like letting Lacey use her restroom. It wasn't just seeing her from across the street or something, but it didn't fit with his narrative of a secret boat because her family didn't know that he had a boat. But if she wasn't secret to her, like you have to get insurance for that. And I mean, when he bought the boat, he used his real name. He used like all the documents were legit and legal. So he wasn't a license. You have to get the insurance like. And if he had bought this boat with the intent of killing Lacey, it was a really stupid boat to buy. Yeah, it's a John boat. It's literally like you can't put a body on there and it's like not going to. I don't know. Like, you can't just hide a body on the boat. No, you, there's no place to hide it. There's also a lot of evidence showing that it's almost impossible or is impossible to dump 150 pounds over it. And we'll get into that next time, too. Yeah, because it'll tip. Yeah. He looked at boats that were cheaper than this one. He looked at boats that were bigger than this one. Lots of different things that he could have done if the whole reason he wanted to buy the boat was to dump his wife's body. The whole reason he wanted to buy the boat was because he wanted to go 
fishing. And that is supported by the type of boat that he bought. This boat was equipped with like a fish finder. It had uh, fishing seats. It had, it was a fishing boat. And if you're going to buy a boat to dump your wife's body, maybe do it in the middle of the night and not like in the middle of the afternoon. Like that's when I would go dump a body. Also, I wouldn't also use the brand new boat I bought that would seem suspicious if I just bought it only to go kill my wife. Well, and also the owner that he bought the boat from because he bought it used said that he had never taken the boat in saltwater and he wasn't even sure if the engine would work in saltwater. So if you're mm-hmm. going to dump your wife's body, maybe maybe make sure the boat works first. <laughs> yeah, so you don't get stranded out there like right. having to call the Coast Guard and you're like, well, funny the thing story. Is- <laughs> Interesting. I ignore this tarp. Ignore the tarp. Yeah. <laughs> bottom of the boat. It's nothing. Fancy seeing you here. Gonna need a toe back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of things that just seem that just don't make sense about that whole theory, but nobody really seems to care about that. They seem to be a whole lot of not caring happening here. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest lies that the police said was that they were starting to look into a connection between Scott and this other woman, Kristen Smart, who was a girl that went to the same college as him and went missing. And they were looking at Scott's a suspect in the Kristen Smart case were, or a person of interest. We're looking into any connections they might have had. There was no connection. Scott, that besides they went to the same college and maybe one person said they might have had a class together and maybe they met once so I, she I, went missing in college when he was there or like after the fact, and they are like alumni from this school. I believe she went to this, she went missing while they were at school together. In college. Okay. Yeah. Now the media and all of America, I think we're looking at a serial killer here that he has this history of women just disappearing when he's around. Police were just feeding information to the media, information that was unworthy, insignificant, and all of it. All of it gets reported. As Scott predicted, once Amber Fry came into the picture, the police were solely focused on her and her recorded phone calls and the search for Lacey basically stopped. They certainly weren't looking at any other leads or suspects. It was all about catching Scott at this point. Even the volunteer center closed down, feeling betrayed by Scott. Hmm. So police are saying this is what happened. Scott killed Lacey either the night before or in the morning. He puts her body in the truck and drives to his warehouse to pick up the boat. While Lacey's body's in the truck, you know, while his dead wife's body is in his truck, he's inside Mm -hmm. checking his email, Mm -hmm. looking up how to put together this woodworking tool. And then he actually puts together the woodworking tool also. So he did that too. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the things on his mind while he's in there. You right. Know. He's got things to do. When you say in the truck, I'm assuming you mean like actually in the cab and not like the bed of the truck because then people could like see. No, the bed of the truck. But he had these big giant patio umbrellas that they say he was using oh. to like hide her body. Okay. And it's it's really lucky for him because not a single person saw him putting a body into the truck in the middle of the day. You know, not a single yeah. person saw him do that. Not a single person saw him with a body in the boat at the marina. Talking about like a five foot one, 90 pound woman. This woman is eight months pregnant. Yeah. And about like, 150 and pounds. Li- yeah. Yeah. I mean, like mm-hmm. you're, they took his vehicle. So wouldn't they have found D- her DNA in the bed? Or did we not check for that? 
Yeah, they took his car and there was no no forensic evidence, no physical evidence, mm. nothing. Yeah. Okay. So it definitely sounds like there was a body back there. I don't even think they had cadaver dogs. They didn't hit on it there. They hit on it. They hit on her at the marina and we'll again go into that during the trial part in the next part. Ew, but cadaver dogs. What a gross term. Also, what qualifies you to be a cadaver dog? Like what kind of Um, well, apparently you have to go through all this certification and training, but we'll talk about that. Oh, good. Stay tuned. In part two, though, not till part two. Oh, yeah. Halloween costume for next year. This year, my dog was a stegosaurus. So you're going to make him be a cadaver dog next year? I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> it just looks like a dog oh. with maybe a little vest on, maybe. Cute little vest. Cute little vest. Cadaver Kinda dog. dead bodies. How cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. After he checks his email, sets his tool up, then he finally hitches the boat up. Goes to the marina where he puts Lacey's body in his small boat. Not talking <gasps> to the yacht here. Ooh. Sorry. Don't Google image cadaver dog. Oh, Jesus. Why Look. would you do that? I wanted to see the dog, but there's a lot more cadavering than, than dog. Oh, God. Sorry. Oh, God. Okay. And then, okay. So then he took her out and dumped her body somewhere that 27 search teams couldn't find her. And by the way, he chose a spot where he was fishing because it was shallow water, not a really great, like a great place, place to dump yeah. a body. And you wouldn't think that it would be hard to find it there. Like you'd think 27 search teams could search the shallow body. And they were doing it like within, you know, a short time frame, like within 12 days of her missing. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And this is salt water, right? So it moves more than like fresh water. Oh, like. does it? Well, he was having an affair and he didn't seem sad. So... <laughs> He must have done it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wait, did you say that we found the body yet or no? Does the body get found? Can you yeah. just tell me that? I, yeah, it does. Mid-January, the National Enquirer received a photo of Scott and Amber at a Christmas party. In the photo, Amber's like perched on his lap. He's wearing a stupid Santa hat. And it's... How do you go to a Christmas party when you have a wife? Like, I don't know. Interesting. That same night... Lacey, eight months pregnant, was in Modesto attending a Christmas party alone because <gasps> Scott said oh, he was on a business no. trip. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out on him. Yeah. Not send your pregnant wife to a Christmas party by herself. Mm-hmm. Yep. What a... Yeah. And that's what everybody thought. Like, you're an Me asshole. Me included. You did it. Yeah. Once the National Enquirer gets this photo, the police know it's a matter of time. Their connection with Amber Fry is going to be outed. So police finally speak to Lacey's parents and they tell them about Amber Fry. And it was like a switch had been flicked. Because she hasn't done her press conference yet. Not yet. Nobody knows about her yet. But once the National Enquirer gets this photo, it's just a matter of time before they print it. And they, which, who gave them that photo? I was going to say, what? how random. Like, hmm. Who, oh, you know. You know I, who gave the photo. I don't know. I assume Amber. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. So did she sell it to them? Did she make any of that money? They immediately turn on Scott, and I don't blame them one right. bit. I mean, you know, they think they know what their daughter's marriage was. They've been sticking up for him this whole time, uh, defending him in the press, saying what a good guy he was, saying he would never do this. Well, they also thought he would never have an affair, and he did. So now it's like, 
Well, now there's a motive to them. Like, I don't know if they were like, why would he do this? And now it's like, oh, this is why he would do this. There's a motive now. And it's like a sense of betrayal, you know, like we don't know what you're capable of. If you're capable of doing this, you know, he's not the person I thought I knew. And so I don't know now. So they completely turned on him. On January 24th, the press were about to go on a feeding frenzy because this is the day, January 24th, that Amber Fry read her statement at the press conference. Oh, I want to watch that. All of America was already against Scott at this point. They didn't need this information to turn on him like Lacey's family did, but my God, did things get worse. Like, Oh, sure. This news about Amber, people went from... He looks sketchy. He, he has a face I'd like to punch. He's grinning at this candlelight vigil to murderer. Like I said, the volunteer center in Modesto closed down. The volunteers said they felt betrayed. And it was as if the search for Lacey just came to a complete stop. No one was looking for her anymore. They were all certain that Scott had killed her. And the media went rabid. They thought this plus his weird behavior proved that he killed Lacey. But, okay, I go back to innocent until proven guilty. The affair to me could prove his weird behavior. Like he's trying to cover up an affair, not a murder. Or maybe Mm. both, but I don't know, man. I was... I was with you until he sent his pregnant wife to the Christmas party alone, probably with some boo-boo fruitcake, and he's over there all cozied up with Amber Fry in your face, and I'm just over it. Okay, we're not going to go into the trial in this part. I'm saving that for part two, but they did put the two photos side by side, the photo of Lacey alone at the Christmas party, the photo of Amber on Scott's knee at a Christmas party same night. Like, Was that attorney a woman? I just need to know. No. Uh-uh, oh, no. that's because that's some shit I would do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. After Amber Fry comes out, the police and the media completely paint Scott as somebody who has lied about everything, this giant liar. Look at what a big liar he is. Well, when yeah. in actuality, the only thing that he lied about was Amber. He never said he didn't know that he was being recorded on these um, Amber Fry tapes. And right. yeah, he said some stupid things about his friends, Francois and Pascal. <laughs> but he also said things like repeatedly saying, that he loved his wife and that he wanted her back alive. Aw, on the phone calls to his mistress? Uh-huh. Yeah, because she wouldn't leave him alone. She kept calling him, trying to get him to talk about her. Mm. And so he was like, no, I love her. I want her back. And I was just sleeping with you. Yeah. So detectives are told by the DA that if they don't have a body, they need to have a really strong case against Scott. And detectives know they don't have what they need. They didn't have anything. They had an affair and weird behavior and literally nothing else. Yeah. Not evidence. Right. Not evidence. And it stayed like that for months until. Until? Until what? (laughs) I knew it was coming. Until April 14th, 2003. Nearly four months since since Lacey went missing. At 11.43 a.m., the police get a report from a dog walker of a badly decomposed body that washed up on the shore of the San Francisco Bay. 
this might be really hard to listen to. I'm giving you a warning here. I'm not going to go into a whole lot and I'm going to get it over with. I'm going to rip off this bandaid. Okay. Are you ready? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Okay. Cause this needs to be said. All right. The body they found was actually just a torso, no (sighs) arms, no legs, no head. And the torso had no internal organs. It was initially believed to be female and it would turn out confirmed to be Lacey Peterson. The body of a fully intact infant was also found a little ways away the day before Lacey was, who would later prove to be Connor. The end. I know. It's really bad. I have a lot Um, of questions. All of those things will be important, and that's why I needed to say them. Otherwise, I wouldn't have felt the need to describe that. Why am I doing this podcast? (laughs) With the discovery of Lacey and Connor's body and the fact... (sighs) That they had been found in the San Francisco Bay, where Scott. That's where he went fishing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Police now believed they had strong enough evidence to arrest Scott. Why are you hiding your face? <laughs> because I told you from the beginning, since I've been following this case, which started this morning, <laughs> he did it. He did it. Okay. So, by the time. Lacey and Connor were found. Scott had been long gone from Modesto. He was staying with his family in San Diego. Life had gotten really bad for Scott and Modesto. There was constant traffic driving by his home. Media was camped out there. Their house. So no one's in that house. No. Just empty. Yep. Their house had been stripped of a lot of stuff during the search, uh, during the search warrants, but none of those items were even like evidentiary. Radio DJs were calling out to him with bullhorns while airing their show live in front of his house. His house had been broken into. And the volunteer center and any effort to find Lacey alive had ended in Modesto. So he left. And also, not that I feel sorry for him right now, but with all of that stuff shutting down, like what that does to someone's like psyche. I mean, obviously it was like he had no supporters, no one in his corner. So now he feels completely alone and has nothing. Right. And then in late January, some FBI profiler on the Larry King show talked about how concerned they were that Scott was so close to the border. They thought that he'd probably make a run for it. And yet three months later, he's still in San Diego in April. So detectives headed down to San Diego and they're just kind of lying in wait until they have confirmation that the DNA matched Lacey before making the arrest. A few days after their bodies were discovered, Scott had made plans to go golfing with his family at the Torrey Pines Golf Course in San Diego. So as Scott's heading towards the course, he sees strange vehicles following him, and he assumes that it's the media because he's been tailed for months now. He's so pissed. He's tired of them hounding him, following him around. A few days before, he'd even been sure that PIs paid for by the media had been following him. And he'd even written down some license plate numbers that he then gave to his lawyer. So he calls his family. He tells them he doesn't think he should come to the course. He doesn't want pictures of himself at the golf course that could be used against him. He doesn't want the media bugging his family. So he tries to lose the cars. And he drives for over an hour and he's driving really erratically in an effort to lose them. Oh my gosh. Turns out those cars are cops. Oh. Tailing him in unmarked cars. And the license plates he'd written down a few days turned out those were police too. It annoys me that I read so many articles talking about how Scott led police on a high speed chase. He didn't know. 
he never, never once mentioning the fact that they didn't have their lights on. They never turned their lights on. They never attempted to pull him over. They weren't driving cars identifiable as police cars. So even though they didn't have the DNA results yet, they decided to stop Scott. He headed back to the golf course, and that's when the cops finally put their lights on for the very first time in this entire high-speed chase. And Scott pulls over immediately. As soon as he realized they were cops, he pulled over. Yeah, you would think they're media, too. Like, in unmarked cars, he's been getting tailed for months. Like, I would immediately have assumed it was media. Yeah. The police search his car, and Mogab, my God, the things they find in there. <gasps> one, one police officer said they found everything but golf clubs. Oh. They found rope, a knife, four cell phones, camping supplies, children's mm-hmm. books, about $15,000 in cash, his brother John's ID, hiking boots, a shovel, a fishing pole, about a week's worth of clothes, climbing equipment, and newly purchased camping gear, including a tent and a water purification system. Okay, so most of those things would be camp gear. I'm a little confused about the children's books, a little creeped out by that. But why no golf clubs? Especially if he, I mean, was he going to maybe just rent from there? I don't know, but. Yeah, he must have been. Well, he was, okay. All of this is presented and used as case closed. He was fleeing to Mexico. The end. Nancy Grace starts shouting about flat evidence and. (laughs) Sorry, what was that? (laughs) Flat evidence. Okay. And the city that was formerly referred to as San Diego on the news became 30 miles from the Mexican border. Oh. The Torrey Pines golf course is 30 miles from the Mexican border, but phrasing it as that puts a picture in your head of like a tiny border town, you know? Right, yeah. And he'd been there for months. They made it seem like the police pulled him over as he was on his way to Mexico. In fact, I think I remember some news person even saying Scott Peterson was attempted while, or was arrested while attempting to flee to Mexico. Yeah. But I mean, like that's where his family was. Yeah, that's where his parents lived and he'd been yeah. there for months and hadn't like gone. <sighs> they told Scott that the DNA came back, that it was Lacey and Connor's bodies that they found. And again, they were not happy with the reaction he had. He was like unemotional. Shock, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, well, shit, now I'm getting arrested. Like, yeah, either it's he's been processing and grieving the death of both of his, you know, wife and son, or he did it and he already knows. And yeah, it's shit, I'm getting arrested. But either one of those is shock. Right. So Scott is arrested and he's taken back to Modesto to go to jail where a gigantic mob has formed at the jail. And when I say mob... These people looked like if they could, they would have killed him themselves. They're screaming that he's a murderer. And it honestly looked terrifying. The mobs in this whole Scott Peterson trial at the courthouse and here at the jail, I literally, they literally have given me nightmares. Like this to me, honestly, I'm here talking about murders. That's the scariest part about this whole thing. These giant the word mob is now so triggering to me that my friend was talking about some earring shop that she shops at on facebook and it was something like something mob but it was like mob with two b's and i was like i I can't even hear that word i can't even hear that word (laughs) i'm sorry what was don't you're that scarred see 
I don't like it. I just keep picturing these people here and this mob during his trial, and they're just horrifying. Circumstances around his arrest were so distorted, like I said. Nancy Grace is out there screaming about the flat evidence, and they made a huge deal out of the fact that he was so close to Mexico that he dyed his hair blonde, grew facial hair, and also dyed that blonde, saying he was trying to disguise himself that he had a ton of cash on him. He had all these cell phones, camping gear, and a fake ID. And Maybe he's disguising himself not, like, to run away, but because he's tired of being, like, followed and hounded and his normal face is all over everything all the time. Ooh. Like, maybe he just wants to go to Kroger and not be, like, harassed, you know? Really, is that obvious? Because apparently nobody else thought that. Um, he'd, he'd had this look since February. For the record, I don't know where I stand. I'm just trying to figure it out. So I'm definitely not like a Scott Peterson fan by any means. Even if he didn't do it, he seems like a terrible human and a big cheater. But still. Well, me too. I I don't have a dog in this fight. Like, I don't, I'm not friends with Scott Peterson. I'm not friends with his fan. Like, I don't have a connection there. I just want to know. And I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't know. I'm trying to present the, the, information i'm gonna Mm -hmm. give my opinion on it you know on and i'm trying to look at it from both sides but i i honestly think that enough of it has been presented through the scott is guilty lens that we need to start looking at it from another lens if we want the truth right Um, just look at all the different i I feel like we've just looked at it from two different things and there's so many avenues that people the police haven't explored right Okay, I'm not going to say that this is not a bad look for Scott. All this stuff in his car, him being close to Mexico, like it, him dyeing his hair, it's all, it's a bad look. There are other circumstances involved that make this whole fleeing to go camping in Mexico theory sound really not as cut and dried as Nancy Grace would like you to believe. He was arrested 30 miles from the Mexican border. Look at all that flat evidence. <laughs> Okay. First of all, I hope she listens. The car that he was arrested in, he traded in his truck recently for a bright red Mercedes. Oh. Is that the perfect car? Isn't that the perfect car to go camping in Mexico? Yeah, it's the perfect car that's inconspicuous. Very, very inconspicuous. Could get through there. Nobody would really notice this bright red Mercedes. Then, like I said, but I feel like it cannot be said enough. He was close to Mexico because San Diego is close to Mexico. Yeah. It's not like they found him hiding in some tiny border town that he has no ties to. This is, again, San Diego. If you've never heard of it, if you've never been there, they have a great zoo. You should yeah. really check it out. That, You'll like, find it makes- down there by Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I think the phrasing like that does make you think that he's like hiding out in this little like shanty of a place and they phrased it like that on purpose right you know he dyed his hair to be less recognizable to the media and to the public and but his hair had been like that since early february uh remember the bodies weren't found until april so we're talking april when he's arrested he'd been stalked by the media he'd been getting death threats on his answering machine i mean you can just see it with the mob at the jail screaming about how he's a murderer i would disguise myself too and He also went and met with the lead police detective while he was looking like that. There are pictures of the detective talking to him in his truck outside his house in February, and you can see that he has blonde hair. I'll post that picture on our Instagram account. 
So it it's would like be- a disguise from the the people that don't know him, a disguise from the media and the random people that are probably going to harass him when he's at the grocery store. But from like the cops and the other people that are like making sure he doesn't flee, it's not a disguise from them. Like they've seen him like that. Exactly. Yeah, it would be really weird to meet with the lead detective in your quote-unquote disguise (laughs) if the whole point was to run. Okay, so they made a big deal about his brother's ID. His brother was a member at the Torrey Pines Golf Club. He could use it to get a discount at the golf club, which is why he says he had his brother's ID with him. Which is an expensive golf club. Mm. I mean, even I've heard of it, and I don't golf. The knife that was found in the car actually belonged to the previous owner of the Mercedes who had forgotten that he'd left it in the pocket and he testified to that at court, that that was his knife. He'd forgotten that he'd left it there. Okay. Um, The camping gear had been purchased about a month before because he was a big outdoors kind of guy. He liked to fish. He liked to go camping. And I think what this is telling all of us is stay inside. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, exactly. What he about the children's have, books? That's what I'm weird So he about. had a, a birthday party coming up for his, like, I didn't write this down, but I read about it. I didn't write it down because I didn't, I didn't think you were going to make this big deal about the children's books. They were for, like, his nieces or nephews or something at a future at a future birthday party. Uh, so he, like, okay. another reason that it wasn't, like, he wasn't fleeing that day. He had these children's books in there so that he could give it to them at this party uh-huh. coming up. And, uh, okay, with the camping gear, he'd purchased it about a month before, big outdoors kind of guy. He'd gone camping multiple times. He just didn't have anywhere to, like, store it because he wasn't living at his house in Modesto. You know, he was staying down in San Diego, so he kept it in the car. The biggest thing for me was all that cash. Like, how are you going Mm -hmm. to explain $15,000 in cash? Who drives around with that much cash on them? And yeah. The explanation they gave didn't really sit well with me, so I had to look more into it and kind of get the full story because what they said was that his mom, Jackie, had accidentally withdrawn it from an account that she shared with Scott and Lacey, and so she hey, gave accidentally it, withdraw $15,000. Yeah. Well, she had accidentally withdrawn 10000 and then she'd gone and uh, realized that she'd accidentally taken it from their account, so she'd gone to her account withdrew that and gave it to him in cash that they wouldn't put a hold on his account. So again, didn't really sit right with me. So I went, I looked at the court documents. turns out there are a bunch of bank records to confirm this story. And here's the full story about the cash. So Scott's mom, Jackie, was going to loan his brother, John, the money to buy out Scott for his truck. So this was when he's buying the Mercedes. John was then going to take over the payments of the truck. On April 8th, which is about six days before the bodies were found, Jackie went to Bank of America to withdraw $10,000 from an account she rarely used so that she could give John the money to buy out Scott for the truck. She did not know her account number, so she used her social security number for the bank employee to look up her account. And she didn't realize this, but she was listed on Scott and Lacey's checking account as well because she had opened the account with Scott a long, long, long time ago. After Scott had gotten married to Lacey, he added Lacey to the account, but never took his Mm -hmm. mom off the account. So the bank gave Jackie $10,000 from Scott's checking account. There is withdrawal receipts to prove this. Jackie paid Scott $8,000 cash for his equity in the Dodge pickup, 8,000 of his own money. (laughs) Um, Great. She paid him cash so he could better negotiate while shopping for a car. 
Uh, like when I first, when I sold my first car privately, they also gave me this giant thick envelope full of cash and I wanted to like spread it out on my bed and do like snow you? angels, you know? <laughs> I No, I don't know. I have major regrets that I did not do mm. that. <laughs> on April 12th, so two days before the bodies were found, April 12th. Scott purchased a Mercedes from a guy named Michael Griffin. He paid him with $3,600 bills, so $3,600. Scott still had $4,400 from that $8,000 that his mom had given him, so he still got $4,400, right? Okay. Scott then discovers the $10,000 withdrawal from his bank account, and he sees the withdrawal ticket was signed by his mom, so he calls her, and he's like, why are you paying me with my own money? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Um, His mom realizes her mistake and she goes to Washington Mutual on April 17th, withdraws $10,000 out of her account to pay him back for the money that she had taken out of his account. She paid him in cash so the bank wouldn't put a hold on his funds. So Scott now has $14,400-ish in cash. I mean, an honest mistake that looks so sketchy. So sketchy. And Scott was arrested the next day on April 18th. He hadn't had time to deposit the cash in his bank account yet. He also, it was reported he has foreign currency. He had like, and this was like put into evidence, okay, all this foreign currency. Right. He had $6 worth of pesos. Stop it. (laughs) Well, you know, that's Mexican money and he's 30 miles from well, Mexico. But the police knew that he had been, he had actually been to Mexico on a business trip in February. The police knew this. He came back to the United States after this trip to Mexico. Hmm. He also, just to kind of uh, dispute this whole fleeing to Mexico thing somewhere, really recently had just paid his car insurance, his income taxes, filed his 1040s, his income tax returns, and had not yet cashed his paycheck. So none of that seems like the behavior of someone on their way to Mexico. Yeah. And what a coincidence that the police decide to pull him over as he's like on his way when he'd been in San Diego for three months. Right. I'm not saying this all doesn't look really weird, okay? But I feel like there are very simple answers for everything except the cash but that's a complicated answer but they have receipts to back up what they're saying and it all checks out with the i mean it would be really weird for them to have so much evidence just to lie about giving scott all this cash like okay we'll sell the car and what what we'll do is i'll accidentally take it out of your account and then i'll give it so then if you're caught with the money we have this whole explanation of why and we'll have like records to prove like that's Assuming that he would have gotten yeah. caught. That's obviously why he had the cash in his car. Anyways. Well, it'd be different if they had the cash transaction stuff without there being like a car purchase in there. Like that makes it a lot more sense. Yes. Yes. It would be a lot different if there wasn't a reason that Jackie needed $10,000 in cash right. to pay, pay for the truck. Yes. That would be weird. So the DA charged him with the death penalty, even though they have very little evidence. <sighs> the family had to get public defenders, but decided they needed to do whatever they had to do to hire an attorney. They end up hiring Mark Garagos because he'd been on Larry King every night defending Scott. He was this big time hotshot LA lawyer. He defended Gary Condit in the Chandra Levy case, Roger Clinton on alcohol related charges, just a whole bunch of really high profile cases. 
He charged them a million dollars and set to work trying to defend a man that the media had turned guilty until proven innocent. How were they able to arrest him? Like, what did they... Just because, because the bodies were found in the same place that he'd been fishing. But that's enough? Like... No, MoGab, it's not. No! I know! <laughs> but apparently... <laughs> That's where part one of our Scott Peterson story ends. Part two will drop next Thursday where I'll go into the trial and the court of public opinion, the craziest jury you've ever heard of, new evidence that has come to light, and where we are now with this case. It's a wild ride, so make sure to check it out. And thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this case because everyone I talked to is convinced he did it. So are you still convinced he did it? Are you a little... What are you thinking right now, Moga? I, I feel like this is my honest opinion. Yes. I am not sold that he did it, but I'm scared to say that because he sounds terrible and I don't necessarily want to be like a pro Scott. Like, I don't like him. I think he's not a great human. I don't think maybe he is guilty yet in my mind, but... I'm I'm interested to see what we learn. I'd love to hear what you guys think about the case. So email us at creeperspod at gmail.com with any feedback you have, what you think about the case. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at creeperspod. And thank you so much to those of you that have left a review on Apple Podcasts. It, we appreciate it. Did we not appreciate those reviews, Mogab? <laughs> It was so fun. It's kind of like the first. I used to like wake up and check social media, but now I check that. I know. How exciting. Fun. Yeah. yeah really exciting. If you liked what you heard on this episode, please, please consider taking a minute to go onto Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It. I know you hear that on every single podcast you listen to, but it really helps grow the podcast. It's one of the only ways that we really can grow it. So I'd really appreciate it if you would go on and do that. It would help us out so much. It also grows my confidence. So you want (laughs) to help a sister out on that too. True. That's true. It really, yeah, it makes this a lot of fun. So come back next week. Hear about part two of Scott Peterson case. Bye peeps and creeps. Bye.